0: All right, Luke 12. I hope everyone's ready for all these problems we have to resolve. Okay, and the last hour, I think we worked through Luke 12, and we did a pretty good job breaking it down and reading it, correct? And what is the problem that is currently facing us in regards to Luke 12? Let's identify the problems first. Problem number one is what? The text seems to imply that God will do what? Provide, provide for us, right? And provide what three things? Life. Food and clothing, right? Life, food, and clothing. Now, life probably is dealing with a lot of things that pertain to the sustaining of life, okay? And we could see that in some ways, but right. life, food, and clothing. Everybody see that? Now, why is this a problem? Right? Well, I said, no, we're not talking about the worry part. The reason it's a problem, he says, is that he will provide it. And what's reality tell us? Sometimes. Clearly, there's people who don't get it provided and die correct? Speaking around millions a year, right? Depending on, some have it four, some have it eight million, depending, you know, and, and that's just food. That doesn't even deal with people who die from lack of, uh, of yeah, uh, not because of shelter, not because of, of bad drinking water. I mean, there's lots of things people die from, and it's shocking when you get into the statistics. We live here in America where we got so much provided for us, we don't even think about it, but there's people around us that don't. So that's, that's, everyone understand that that's a problem? Okay, alright. That's problem number one. What's problem number two? Problem number one, he promises a provision that we don't always see play out in reality. Problem number two? The selling. Problem number two is he seems to tell us all to sell everything we have. That's a problem. Because nobody here is doing what? Selling all our possessions. So we've got two issues to deal with, correct? Yes, all right. Now, here's what we're going to do. Number one, we need options. What are our options in interpreting this passage, right? What is option number one? Okay, option number one is to try to argue that this is not applicable to us. right? Everybody got that? That's option number one. And that option would sound something like this. Who is he referring to? Disciples. What does this would then be a reference to? To the disciples, them, them being sent out, and they were to sell all their possessions, which there seems to be other passages that seem to tell them to do that, correct? Take no purse, take no thought with, sell everything that you have. Don't worry about carrying anything. God is going to provide. This seems to be a promise to the disciples for some kind of supernatural provi- provision that would take care of all of their needs, where they could focus on what? The proclamation of the gospel. All right, that would be option number one. All right, everybody got that? Option number two. This applies to us, and we gotta figure out how to make it work. Agreed? Right? Is there a third option? Not applicable? Applicable. Applicable has all kinds of problems, but okay, what would be a third one? All right. Bobby's offering one. I I mean, we have to at least consider it that this is applicable, but there's some kind of condition that we got to figure out how to meet the condition, and then maybe it will work for us. Some some kind of conditional uh, mandate to it. All right, that possibly works. All right. So we got three possible. Can anyone think of a fourth solution? Anyone think of a fourth solution? I don't know if there is a fourth solution. Agreed? Agreed? We'd have to really start reaching. All right. So, what was solution number one? Okay, not applicable to us. All right. Let's do this. All right. Now, for this hour, everyone needs to, the, the, the speed of this hour is going to be greatly dependent upon all of you. Because I'm going to be making you look things up and find the answers. Because if I just give you answers, then it's of no value. I know you're saying, yes, it is, because we get out of here quicker and I don't have to do any work. But it's of no value because you're not learning for yourself. All right? My job is to facilitate your learning. My job is to equip saints, not to simply be here to entertain you. Okay? And I'm not very entertaining in the first place. All right? So everybody ready? Okay? Here we go. If we make the claim that this passage itself is not applicable, if your argument is that this passage is not applicable, what would be your textual arguments or scriptural arguments that it's not applicable? All right. So, Seth Seth's uh, argument here is that if we look at chapter 12 verse 1, it says he says unto his disciples. If we jump down to verse 22, it says verse 22 of Luke 12 he said unto his disciples. So the argument would be this is applicable to this is promises and claims made for the disciples. Now, what would be an argument against making such a claim? Only applicable to. Yeah, that would be a major argument because he says that a lot. Correct? He said unto his disciples, he said unto his disciples. I don't even know how many, it would be interesting to find out how many times that phrase is used, but it's used a lot, okay? So we would be wiping out application for pretty much (laughs) the New Testament, okay? Or at least the Gospels, right? So that one is, that leaves us a little, that's a little concerning. All right, what would be a better way of possibly making an argument that this is not applicable? Oh, y'all yeah, got to put your thinking caps on. Y'all yeah, own Bibles. You've all been Christians for a long time. Well, Are you thinking about like, verse that talks about if you don't work, then you should I mean, that you uh, that, That's not necessarily where I'm going. I'm just trying to say that we're, if we make a claim that this is not applicable, I need some proof that this is not applicable. So, how would you prove it's not applicable? Okay? Okay. I could I could kind of I could kind of work with that one. Well let's here's what I'm thinking. All right. He's talking now, I'm gonna borrow from Seth's idea, right? We've kind of we've kind of argued against it, but I'm gonna borrow from it, right? He is making an argument that this is disciple driven. All right. Now, if this is disciple driven, then we have some specific promises that should be clearly shown to be for the disciples. Correct. All right. Can you think of other gospel accounts of Jesus making promises that sound very much like this, but it's clearly directed at the disciples and we can prove it's directed at the disciples? I got some heads being don't don't tell me, look them up and tell me when you find them. Give me that passage. Find the passage. Luke 9, okay. Yeah, it's not even far. Okay, all right. Luke 9. Where does it begin, Seth? Verse 3. Okay, is this going to answer what we think? Okay, here we go. Verse 1, I think, is where we should start. Yeah, verse 1. Everybody there? Everybody there? Luke 9, verse 1. And he called his 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over all devils and to cure diseases. Stop right there. Now, we can prove that's not for us. Agreed? ever everyone knows we cannot cure diseases. Right? Agreed? This is apostolic power, apostolic gift. Agreed? All right. Verse 2. He sent them to preach the kingdom of God into... All right. We, we believe that there's an application for us to preach the gospel, but there is no command for us to go heal the sick because I can't do it. I can pray for someone, but I, I don't have any ability. And, and how many times have I prayed for people who are sick and they die? I spent all night praying for my mother when she was in the hospital. She died. Obviously, it didn't work. Right? Yes? Okay. And he said unto them, Take nothing for your journey, neither... Staves, nor scrip, neither bread, neither money, neither have two coats apiece. Whoa, now wait a minute. That, that, now that sounds a lot like Luke 12, does it not? Because don't worry about all this stuff. Don't worry. What are they not worry about? If you're taking, what are they not, not taking with them? What are the things they're not taking? What's the first thing they're not taking? St- a staff. Okay. And what could a staff be used for? protection right right yes okay I mean in martial arts we learn the staff okay so yeah so it's definitely a weapon okay all right next script or bag don't take a bag well taking a bag would imply that you're what you're carrying something right next (laughs) bread that's food okay if I drive to Dallas I have a bag of food All right? I could break down. But I know that along in the car, I need like, I mean, I stop at the convenience store and I got a bag of everything, okay? I'm like, I'm by 10 of everything, okay? Because I got to have something, right? Bread. I mean, and guess what? If they don't take any bread, there's not an all on every corner. And that's outdated, whatever they are, 7-Elevens now or whatever they're called now, okay? But, yeah, okay, right? Do I? And I don't have any money to even buy anything, right? So this seems to imply what? This fits the Luke 12 narrative. The Luke 12 narrative is, hey, don't worry about all this stuff because God's going to provide it. Here is a case where they're doing what? Exactly what Luke 12 says to do. Right? Don't take two coats. Don't even have any extra. Don't worry. Just take what you have on and go. And, what, and whatsoever house you enter in, there abide and thence depart. Obviously not their houses. They're going to have to rely on other people. Now, keep this in mind. This is very important. This is what uh, Diane was talking earlier. They're going to be staying where? Look at verse 3. Someone's house. So it can't be that everyone has to sell everything they own. Because if everyone sold everything they own, nobody would have a house. Everybody see that? Amen? Yeah. Okay. All right. That that's an important thing to note. Uh, you enter in and abode a thence depart, and whosoever will not receive you when you go out of that city, shake off the very dust from your feet for a testimony against them. Alright. Here's an example of the disciples being sent out, and they are told, obviously, they're being implied to do what? Don't worry about any material thing because it's going to be provided For you. Do we have any other cross references to this where we could drive this point home even further? Okay. Okay. What chapter? Chapter 10. Yeah, here we go. All right. Everybody look in chapter 10, verse 1. After these things, the Lord appointed other. 70, also, and sent them two and two before his face into every city, place where he himself would come. Then he said unto them, the, the harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into the harvest. Go your way. Behold, I send you forth as lambs among wolves. Next verse. Carry neither purse nor scrip, nor shoes. <laughs> Don't even carry shoes. They really get it worse. They get it worse off than the 12. Okay. All right. And salute uh, no man by the way. And whatsoever house you enter. There again. There's houses for them to stay in. Are these lost people letting them stay? It would seem to be. You would not not think so. All right. Um, And then the same same thing. All right. Everybody get the idea. Now, how do we know that this would possibly not be applicable for us? Look at verse 9. Heal the sick. Get the same idea? Agreed? All right, so what can, we, what, what can our argument be? Let's make sure this argument. There is New Testament evidence that when Jesus sent out disciples apostles, there was a specific way in which they were to go. And what's that way? go without worrying about any material thing, God would provide the material. What were they to be focused on? The spiritual. There is New Testament evidence that for the disciples and the apostles, this is the way they were to live. Going, not worrying about material things, God would supernaturally provide the material things. How do we know clearly that that's not applicable to us? Because with this sending them out not to worry about material things, what else were they concerned, uh, told to do? To heal the sick, which we know we can demonstrate, we can prove without a shadow of the doubt that we do not possess that apostolic ability. If you think you do, um, well, you can either go to work with Seth, right, and he, can, you, and he can just stay at the firehouse, and you can go out on the truck and just heal everyone. Right? And I don't see any of the charismatic, do you see any of the charismatic churches showing up at your fire station to go out with you every night? I wonder why. You should just call New Hope and say, hey, could you send some of your best healers out with us? Uh, You know, that doesn't work. I don't see, uh, do you see New Hope or any of the charismatic churches in Abilene hanging out at the funeral homes? Uh, Raising the dead? Does anybody see them doing that? They could go to work with uh, Janice. All kinds of people, all kinds of medical conditions. Do you see any of the charismatic churches? No, they don't. Charismatic churches talk a big game, but they can't live it out because they're liars. And they're liars, they're not Christians, and they should not be viewed as Christians. And I don't care who gets mad at me, I believe charismatic, the charismatic world is not Christianity. It's, it's mentally, mentally deluded people who believe in things that don't exist, okay? Because they're not, they claim that all this healing is happening, but they, we live in a city where there's charismatic churches on every corner and I don't see all the healings. Because Hendrix is a pretty big hospital. We wouldn't even need a hospital in this town. Right? Okay, so I, I get really mad about that now. And I do believe they're mentally deluded because you have to, you have to, you're believing something that's just tangibly not real. Right? Does that make sense? So immediately we know that there is a there's a push in the New Testament to send out the disciples, not worrying about material things, that we that if we can't necessarily apply to ourselves, agreed? So is it possible that Luke 12, the same concept is happening again? Would that be a textual argument? Agreed? Yes? All right. Is there any other New Testament passage you can think of where again you see this kind of language being spoken of of the disciples giving some promise of being provided for that? Okay, is it it a repeat? Let's look at it real quick. Matthew 10, 10. Is it for the 70 or for the 12? Yeah, for the 12. Yeah, Yeah, there it is. Matthew chapter 10. You Everybody see it? Matthew chapter 10. It names them at the beginning. Um, And then in verse 8, heal the sick, cleanse the leper, raise the dead. Cast out devils freely. You have uh, received freely gift. There's no question that's not for us. We're not healing the dead. We're not raising the dead. Provide neither gold nor silver nor brass in your purse. So clearly, it's not. So, can we all agree that there is at least a New Testament, a gospel? We'll say this. In the gospels, there is evidence of Jesus sending people out, clearly telling them not to worry about any material thing because he's going to provide it all. Agreed? All right. Can we say that that's not applicable to us? Yes. So, is it possible that we read Luke 12 in light of these other passages? I think it's possible. Would we agree? Yes. Now, I know what some people are going to say. Are you saying Luke 12 is not applicable in any way? Listen carefully. There's principles in Luke 12 that would be applicable. What would be the principles in Luke 12? We we could go, I can make it simple. Fear God, don't fear men. Spiritual should dominate over the material. And don't be filled with worry and anxiety that it destroys your life. Simple, but I can't take that and then apply. And then the selling everything clearly wouldn't be applicable to me because we don't believe that God is saying that he's going to provide everything for us the way he's provided for the disciples. Agreed? I think, does that make sense? Yes? All right. I think that gets us some pretty good answers. Now, here's what we need to do. We need, uh, we need one other thing that we need to look at. I'll throw this in with this uh, understanding how this is not applicable. And all of those passages where he sends out the disciples and they're going to go get things, they're going to be provided for, and every situation they are told they're going to be staying in houses. Correct? Yes? Yes? Okay. If they are told they're going to be staying in houses, that would seem to imply what? Someone's going to have to have a house so that, and we would think that it wouldn't be lost people saying, come in and stay with us, unless God supernaturally just works on them. Most likely it's fellow believers. So that would mean that all believers would not be told to do what? Is there another scripture that would seem to imply that you wouldn't, you wouldn't at least sell your house? Okay, um, where in Acts would we say would prove that we don't have to sell our house? Okay, they met in different homes. I, I could think of a better one. Well, let's go to this one first. 1 Corinthians. Look at the, uh, dis- the uh, discussion about the Lord's Supper in 1 Corinthians. Aha! 1 Corinthians. Oh, okay. Let, you find that one. Okay, you have that one. Look for the one in 1 Corinthians. I believe, look on the chapter dealing with the Lord's Supper. It's probably 11, I think. Just going from memory. Is it 11? All right, he tells them that they keep coming to the church, you know, they're eating, they're getting drunk, they're doing all this crazy stuff, and he basically says, why are you coming here to have a meal? Because you have someplace else you can go have a meal. Yeah, where's the verse? First Corinthians chapter 11, verse what? 22. 22. All right. What? Have you not houses to eat and to drink in? That that implies they, they have a, a three things at home. 20, 20, half, drink, food, and food, and clearly, they haven't sold it all. Agreed? In fact, they have it. They don't even need to come to church to get it. In fact, he's like, why are you coming to church to get this? You have a house to eat in. I know whenever I preach this, people get mad at me, but it's not my fault. Paul's the one who told them, go home and eat. And when I tell everyone, go home and eat, you don't need the church to provide it. Everybody gets mad at me, but I'm like, That's the, the church is not here to provide you physical food. It's here to provide you spiritual food. That's what the church is supposed to be about. So that would imply that they all owned, they all had what? Houses. So that would mean that we wouldn't have to sell everything, okay? Clearly, it's not applicable. Now, I want to make sure we understand this. Go back to Luke 12. I want to show you what we have done. You may not feel the weight of what we've done. If you start saying this to friends you know who go to other churches, you'll find out really quick that you learned something today that's very controversial. This is what we have done. None of your friends are going to argue with you that 33 and 34 doesn't apply. They're going to say amen to you. What we have done is backed up the not not applicable to which part? The implication is in 22 and following that God is offering some kind of divine provision that he's going to feed you and you don't need to worry about it. You don't need to seek it. We're going to argue that's not applicable either. And the reason I'm going to make that argument is clearly God doesn't provide for everyone because people don't get all the things they need. In fact, if I just stop doing anything, sell my house, sell everything that I have, I'm going to be living under the underpass, probably hanging out with people saying, "How do you get people to give you money?" And I'm, and I, well, in fact, I'll still be working for it, because I'm not going to just sit under the underpass and I'm, in the morning time, food just magically appears under the underpass and go. I don't need to. I'm just going to sit here and pray all day, because God's just going to magically provide my food. Yeah, they had to, grow, they had to grow, their, they grow their food, right? So that's still, that's still working and toiling. Because remember, the whole argument of 12 is we're, we're better than what? The ravens and the flowers, and they don't do what? So clearly, it can't be applicable. Now, the principle can be applicable, and the principle is this. Don't be overcome with worry. Does that make sense? You see, it's a, it's, it's a, it shouldn't be such a radical reason. Now, some of your Christians friends go, well, well, obviously we're not saying God will provide everything. But they don't provide you a biblical reason. to. We've provided a biblical reason. That this promise probably had a context to the disciples because these disciples have already been told to do what? Sell everything they have because God was going to provide for them. This were apostolic promises. And those apostolic promises no longer were in play after the apostles died. Agreed? All right. Does that make sense? Okay. Now, I I I just wanted you to feel the weight of what we've done. So, I would think the only reasonable explanation is the the not applicable one. Agreed? But we made it not applicable by doing what? Giving a textual argument. And we've proven what? We have other promises directly to the disciples that don't apply to us. And second, we've been able to prove with other scriptures that clearly not everyone sold everything they had because they own houses to go eat and drink in. Yes? Right? And I think someone said in Acts that the church met daily house to house. Right? Clearly, they had to own houses. That's not selling everything. Agreed? Agreed? And if, they're, eat, if they're, and they're breaking bread from house to house, they have food there. Now, depending on how you understand the breaking bread, some believe it's a meal, some believe it's the Lord's Supper. If it's the Lord's Supper, then it's not a meal. But they still had to have a house to have something. Right, everybody got there? So far, so good? Okay, now, here's what we need to do. There are a lots of scriptures that seem to imply that God will provide that go beyond Luke 12 now everybody was supposed to have a list of them today I doubt you do so I have my own right I wasn't gonna put you on the spot here right okay here we go you ready I have about 30 okay we're gonna go through them and see if we because we just challenged a major interpretation correct I will argue that no matter what else we find, I think we have done a I think we've done a good job with Luke 12. Now, we're going to get people online who don't think we did a good job with Luke 12. I think we did. But to be fair, there's other people who listen online and go, "Wait a minute, there's a lot more promises about God providing other than Luke 12." So we've got to deal with those. All right? Anybody ready for the first one? Philippians. Aha. Someone, did you have that already or you just know it? Yeah. You had it? Okay. So you have some? Well, that was one and then there was the, the other one. I okay, all right. Well, you at least had one, all right? Even if you if you just had one, at least you found one. Okay, that's good. All right. Philippians chapter 4. My pages are stuck together. Here we go. Everybody there? All right, uh, we're just going to jump right in and read verse 419 and rip it out of its context and then see what we can do with this. Everybody ready? But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Philippians 419. Everybody see that? All right. How many have heard sermons on this passage? Yes? All right. What have you been uh, told? Okay. Do what? Okay, to be content in your circumstances. Okay, what else have you been told? Can we agree that all sermons that you've probably heard outside of this church have implied that Physical needs, and God's going to take care of, not, not your greed, but your needs, which should imply what three things? Shelter, food, and clothing. He's going to provide it. Now, they typically argue he will provide it, but that doesn't mean he's just going to give it to you. He provides you the means to get it, which is different than providing it, right? Because, because they, they, they have to back it up a little bit, right? They're like, well, he's going to provide. Well, I mean, he's going to provide you the means. He's going to provide you the ability to go get it. Okay, well, that's different than providing it, right? That's a little different. You got to. So they always try to clarify it. All right, now, start looking at the context. Let's see what we should do with this. (laughs) We're going to make everyone in Christianity mad at us before this is over. Okay. We're going after golden calves here. Okay, we're knocking over golden calves. We're going to get we're going to get burned at the stake. Right? Good thing we're not we don't live in Salem and in back during the Salem witch trials. Okay. Okay. Well, how far back did you go? Okay, we'll start in ten. Sound good? Can I start in 10? Yeah, all right. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at the last you care of me hath flourished again, wherein you were also careful, but you lacked opportunity. All right. Paul Paul is grateful for the care shown to him by whom? Church Philippi. All right. Agreed? All right. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. All right. Now, he's he's making an argument. It's not that he's not found himself in times of need. He's found, what has he discovered? Contentment. Right? Next, I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and all things I'm instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Now, that's interesting. Wait. I thought we just read that he's going to provide all of our needs, and Paul's here saying that he has suffered need. And he's going to be full and hungry. How how does this work? Now, again, this is is what drives me crazy. This is just reading, right? All we're doing is reading. It's just basic, like we're just opening a book and reading. Now, I know you're like, I don't ever want to read a book with you. That's why I was always usually asked to leave book clubs, because they're like, we're never going to finish the book. Okay, all right they're like you find everything in every sentence right uh, if you if you look at my Goodread when I'm reading a book if you look at my Goodreads account like I'm I, I, I highlight and add a comment from like I have like from one book it'll be like 300 quotes because every line I'm like that's in that's that's a good quote that's a good quote that's a good quote because every quote I think is like I could have a discussion so here though this is an interesting don't you see a weird contrast God's going to provide all your needs, but Paul's like, I, I know how to suffer. I've suffered need. Well, what need could you have suffered, Paul? Okay, I was hungry. But what Paul is arguing that no matter what he was going through, he was what? Content. All right, that's, now that right, that's the convicting part, right? Okay, like I don't know how you pulled that off, okay, because I tend to not be very content when if I'm hungry, okay? All right, but verse 13. The one that's... All, you talk about a passage that gets misquoted. I can do all things through Christ with strength in me. Now, again, remember we talked in Sunday school? The Christianity that is sold versus the Christianity that meets reality. I, how many, I, I, I cannot tell you how many times I had this verse quoted to me. It would be, you know, we be out doing PT and we'd be running and there'd be my commander come running up behind me and she'd be like, you can do all things through Christ with strength in me. And I just... I literally just stopped running. I'm like, if you're going to continue to, to misquote the Bible, I can't run anywhere within 100 yards of you because you're insane. That Philippians 4.13 had nothing to do with me running PT when I was in the United States Air Force. Okay? Had everything to do with Paul. <laughs> Not with me. Right? If, if If me and Eli are out playing basketball this afternoon and I'm beating him to no end and he's crying, I can't just say... Hey, you can do all things through Christ. Come on, beat me in basketball. Because he can't beat me in basketball no matter how hard he tried. Right? Even if he got help. It right? right? can't happen. Even if he got LeBron James, I could school LeBron. And nobody, it can't happen. Right? Okay. Obviously, that's not true. But you get the idea. Right? That, now, applying it to that situation is foolishness. And I've, again, you've seen it in boxing, you've seen it in UFC, you know, I can do all things, they, they got it tattooed on their chest. Philippians 4.13, they walk into the octagon for, out, and they're knocked out. You know, whoa! You can do all things through Christ other than win a fight, okay? So that, that, that doesn't work. Because that's selling a Christianity, that's what? Doesn't meet reality. What is he talking about, I can do all things? What things? contentment, he knows how to be abased, he knows how to abound, and all things I'm instructed both to be full, to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Those things he can do in Christ. Basically, simply put, I think Sarah said it, contentment and your circumstances. Right? That's all it's applying to. It's it's not applying to anything else. And and, and I I think uh, Bobby just said it, the, the main application is to Paul. How that applies to us, even, even that is into question, okay? But if we're going to apply it to us, we can't apply it beyond that. All right, exactly, all right? Now, verse 14. Notwithstanding, you have well done that you did communicate with my affliction. All right, who came to his help? The church at Philippi. They came and helped him out, right? Now ye... Philippians, know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. Hey, when I had all these needs, no one else helped me out but you. That's good on them. For even in Thessalonica, you sent once and again unto my necessity. They've been helping him all over the place. They've been helping. That's good on this church. That's a good thing for the church of Philippi. They were helping. Not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all and abound. I am full, having received Epaphroditus, uh, the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. All right? In other words, they have given. He's accepted it. He is grateful for their gifts. Now, verse 19. But my God shall supply... All your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Whose need is he referring to? Church Philippi. He's not even referring to his own need. Because who took care of his need? So what does he seem to be saying? You gave to me, right, and took care of me. God is going to provide for you. Now, do we take that and apply it to every situation? Could we make an argument that would be very dangerous to do so? Because we can't say, well, he provided for every need because Paul just told us he had need. Now, his need was ultimately provided, but it was provided by whom? The church. And now Paul is telling the church, because of what you've done for me, God will provide for you. Now, I wonder why that transaction would work that way. Paul is what? An apostle and the disciples and the apostles seemed to have a special thing that was in play, right? They didn't need anything, because whatever they needed would be provided for them, and it was obviously going to be provided in some cases by other people, so the implication seems to be that if you provide for them, God would provide for you. Does that make sense? All right, that, that kind of gets us out of the... That, I think that's a reasonable reading, correct? Because I'm not going to run over to certain parts of Africa and tell everyone God's going to supply all your needs. I'll come back in a month and find. Oh wait, how many kids died in the village? Well, maybe I shouldn't have preached Philippians four nineteen to them. I sold a Christianity that doesn't what reach reality. All right, does that make sense? Now I will argue this does put the the. The caring for people in the hands of the church. Now, the church should care for people, and the church should do what they can. And churches have been doing that throughout church history. They have been. Now, I I would argue that the Protestant Reformation created many problems because we no longer have a big organization to do so. You have little small churches. Our ability to help people is pretty limited, is it not? Now, we pull our resources together. We should be able to help people in the congregation. Pulling our resources together to try to help people out of the, outside of the congregation and maintain ourselves is very difficult. We've, I think everyone's been very helpful here when trying to help people in the congregation. And this church, because, I mean, I pretty made it very clear that I won't be a pastor in a church that won't help people outside. We've helped people wherever we can. So all churches should be able to do that because it seems that one of the ways God does meet the needs of people is through the church. Amen. And that requires the people to do what? People got to give. People don't get the, church, the church's ability to give is based off the people's obedience to giving. You don't give, we can't give. And <laughs> that in that deep, <laughs> all right? Okay, that's so that's important. All right. Next, let's go to another one. All right? Um, I don't, I'm, I'm picking out the ones that I think caused the greatest uh, bit of problems. right? Psalm 8110. I don't even know why this would have been quoted. This comes from a crosswalk.com article where they're like, God's going to provide for all your needs, so don't worry about anything. And they quote Psalm 8110. <laughs> I don't know why, but you look at Psalm 8110 and tell me if you see. I don't think this one requires a, a seminary education to figure this one out. Psalm 8110. What's the dead giveaway? Yeah, well, this is a reference to whom? This is a reference to Israel, right? I am the Lord thy God, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt. Open thy mouth, and I will fill it. All right, that, is refer- that has nothing to do with you. has nothing to do with me. Why Crosswalk.com quoted this is insane. It just shows you how broken Christianity is. I guess reading comprehension was something they missed that day in school, all right? Um, I'm not, I'm not, I wasn't in Egypt, I'm not Israel. Now, guess what? If you believe spiritual Israel, you may be trying to claim this promise for yourself. That's where that problem gets down. This has nothing to do with, the, this is physical Israel, agreed? It was physical Israel who was in Egypt, and it was physical Israel that was provided for. That's just crazy that they would even quote that one. All right? Um, Psalm 84, now, this one may require a little bit more work. Psalm eighty four eleven, Everybody there? For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. All right, we've got to think this through. Everybody see it? What seems to be the promise? God's not going to withhold any good thing. Now, what could we could argue what kind of good thing is he referencing, correct? Now, we could argue that a good thing would be all of our basic necessities, right? Yes, we could. So, obviously, this is how Crosswalk was, was implying it, all right? But what? What's the one thing that should jump out of this verse uh, uh, at you immediately? What's the first thing you should just? Okay, there's something else you should jump out just immediately, right off the text, slap you in the face three times. Do I? Okay. No, there's something else. It's a promise, but what kind of promise? Okay, it's a conditional. So, first, don't go promoting this as an unconditional promise. This is conditional. The only, the only people God is going to provide, you know, provide all the good things for are for whom? Those who walk upright. Who walk upright. Okay. Now, how upright do you have to walk before God's not going to withhold any good thing? All right. That's, that, so, this is a condition. So, immediately, this puts it in a separate category. Agreed? All right. Second, okay, the second thing that should jump out, okay. Um, we have to determine what the good thing is referring to. No good thing, okay? Every good thing. Who gets to determine the good thing? Is this a material or a spiritual? spiritual right? do, we have any, do we have anything here to offer us any ideas? Okay. Okay. Well, let's start, the, uh, we're in Psalm 84, right? Okay, let's do basic reading here, right? Who's this a Psalm for? Sons of Korah, who are the sons of Korah? Not, well, we won't call it a church, but yeah, okay, I know what you mean. Okay, okay, would I agree? Does everybody know who the sons of Korah are? Grab, grab your dictionaries real quick. See if you find an entry for Korah sons of Yeah, I think I think y'all know I just want y'all to see it just to make sure See if we can uh, get a, a good answer here Okay See what you know or don't know You may want to look up Cora sons of it probably will be that way I can't remember it's not going to be under sons of I can tell you that If you find this answer, we'll be done. Okay. Okay. Okay, and what does that tell us? Does it give us any information? Is there any way to identify who these individuals are? Okay, okay, would everyone agree they're part of the Levites? Yes? If they're part of the Levites, then that means they're responsible for what? Tabernacle and worship. All right? Yes? Okay. Verse 1 begins with what? Okay, go ahead. Just to read real quick, I'd like to the last sentence summarize the whole thing. Okay. In the here it says, many Korahites held responsible tabernacle position. Okay. So they were involved in the tabernacle, held responsibilities for the tabernacle and for the worship of Israel. Agreed? All right, so these are, we would place them in the term of ministers. Yes? Okay. Now, we know, how were the Levites supported? By the people, right? Remember some of the sacrifices? They could take part of the sacrifices, right? So they were provided through by the people. Okay, now, let's start in verse 1. O Lord of hosts, my soul longeth, yea, even fainteth for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh crieth out for the living God. Yea, the sparrow hath found an house and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young. Even thine altars, O Lord of hosts, my king and my God. Blessed are they that dwell in thy house. They will still be singing, uh, they will still, they will be still praising thee. Selah, all right? This sounds like people who are supposed to be dedicated to what? The worship of God. Their home, their sanctuary will be the tabernacle. That's what they're focused on. If this is the sons of Korah, that would make sense, would it not? All right. Bless is the man whose strength is in thee, and whose heart are the ways of them, who passing through the valley of uh, Baca may make it a well. The rain also filleth the pools that go from strength to strength. Every one of them in Zion appeareth before God. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Selah, behold, O God, our shield. Look upon the face of thine anointed. For a day in thy courts is better than a thousand. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. This is about people who are focused on what? Serving God and the worship of God and God is going to provide. Yes? Yes? For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will, will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. All right? This seems to be a, a promise that directed more for the sons of Korah and those who served in the tabernacle. Agreed? Yeah. To take it beyond that, you've got to be careful. And even every good thing, it's not clearly classified. And not only that, it's conditional. All right, so let's stop right here. Let's wrap this up. All right? I've got, like, Crosswalk provides, I think there's like 30 scriptures, 40 scriptures, I don't remember, a lot. And it's an article about, hey, God's going to provide for everything you need. Okay, and I'm like, oh, wow. And, and the, guess what they did with all the verses? No, they didn't even explain them. They just said they're all up for you. And end of story. And, then, and I'm like, this is basic Christian nonsense. Okay, all right, here's what we need to learn. Everybody ready? Okay, here we go. Number one, we'll summarize lessons this morning. Number one, do not sell a Christianity that ignores reality. Do not sell a Christianity that ignores reality. What do I mean by that? Don't be going out there saying God's going to do this and God's going to do this and if you become a Christian you get this and all this when that does not the way it works because it leaves people at some point, what are they going to do? They're going to wake up and realize the discrepancy, and many will say what? The Christianity you sold to me is not real, therefore Christianity is not real. Don't do that. And when you hear people selling a Christianity that's not real, you've got to step in. If it's your friends on social media selling this kind of Christianity, you've got to be the one to step in. You're like, well, I'll lose my friends. I'd rather have no friends. Truth over friendship. People who put friendship over truth need to get out of the Christianity world, right? I, I, I friendship with truth is far better than friendship with people, right? I guarantee you that I would rather have friendship with truth than with people. You're like that's a crazy idea. Well, truth should matter, all right. You've got, someone's got to step in and go, wait, no, 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 you're selling a Christianity that's not real. you're selling a Christianity that doesn't meet reality. And when you confront them with reality, they usually get very mad at you, do they not? Well, because they've never been confronted with it. So that's number one. Number two, your ability to read the text determines everything. Your ability to read determines everything. Now, doesn't that make sense considering God's revelation is in what form? Written form. All right? So, what's number one? Don't sell a Christianity that ignores reality. Number two, your ability to read the text determines everything. And number three, you ready for number three? How do I want to state this? This will be the last one. Don't be deceived by how people handle the text of Scripture. You've all heard sermons on a lot of these passages we read today, have you not? And everyone here told me you were given interpretations of those passages that we've just kind of disproven. Would we agree? Now, if you sat there and didn't do, say anything about it and you had the ability to do so, either A, you believed what they said, therefore you, found you allowed yourself to be deceived, or B, you didn't care about truth enough to question it, either case, that places you in a very not a good, good light. You've got to not allow yourself to be deceived. Again, I was listening uh, on, on, the, on the way here, I was listening to Rick Warren, oh man. And it was just, you know, all these verses about God's going to protect you. 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 And I just wanted to, I was screaming at my radio. So what do you tell Rick when you have people in your church who get mugged, murdered, raped, kidnapped? What do you tell them? Where was the protection? God's going to protect you. Oh, uh. Oh, you get that phone call. Hey, one of the members of your church was just murdered. Okay, well, well, why was I sitting there giving them some promise of protection that obviously, why was I doing that, right? You've got to be, got to be able to answer those questions, right? And again, all the churches would say, God's going to protect you. Now, here's what we're going to do. Okay, Bobby, I need you to have a gun. Mr. Goodland, I need you to have a gun. I'll give everyone guns because if someone comes through that door, we're not going to wait for God. We're going to put three bullets in them and put them down. And then we'll tell them Jesus loves them after they're dead. Because nothing says come to Jesus than putting a bullet in someone. And everybody's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Well, wait a minute. Is God are the protector or not the protector? Which is it? Now, if you say God's the protector, you either mean it. And if that's the Christianity you sell, that's the Christianity you have to what? Live. If you sell a Christianity that God guarantees healing, they shouldn't have been calling me at the appointment line to get an appointment. Does that make sense? Now, what, what did we do? In some of these passages where people claim guaranteed provision, what did we discover? Didn't really, it doesn't really come out the way it sounds, right? Oh, this psalm, that's sons of Korah. Who are they? They're in the tabernacle. Okay, They were supposed to be provided by God. Wait, Philippians 4, I'm going to uh, supply all your needs. Wait a minute, Paul himself said he had need. How do I understand that? It only took what? How long did it take to resolve some of these passages? So what's required? Reading. What's not required? Listening to some pastor make all kinds of promises that he himself doesn't even believe. Because his own church won't even live out what they claim is the truth. Does that make sense? All right. So, I, mean, I know that, I guess what I'm trying to tell you is we've got to learn how to handle the text a little bit better. Agreed? Alright, we'll stop there. Lord, we come before you this morning. Lord, I know we raised a lot of uh, questions that's going to make a lot of people mad. Lord, I pray... I pray for patience in dealing with all the emails I'm going to get in the next few hours, Lord. I pray you give me wisdom. But I pray that before people email complaining, they will really think about what we're saying here, Lord. We're not denying your word. We're simply trying to say we have to read your word for what it actually says and not make it say or promise what it doesn't actually say or promise. I think that's something every Christian should desire to do, and I pray that everyone would. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And God's people said,